This is Energy Thinks, a podcast about how the oil and gas industry can future-proof against rising social risk and lead the world into the energy future. It's season two, and I'm here, Tisha Schuler, your host and the principal of Adamantine Energy, to talk to game-changing leaders. Um, and it's so fun today that I get to speak with my colleague on Millennial Secret Weapon at Adamantine Energy and Carto. So we talk about the small steps companies can take to begin their ESG and decarbonization strategy. And what's amazing is how quickly Anne is able to tie these small steps to the required game-changing leadership that's required at this moment when there are so many disruptors underway. So Anne has a, a tremendous range of experience uh, from regulatory navigation to stakeholder regulations. Um, at Adamantine, she helps companies um, up and down the oil and gas value chain um, with their ESG strategies and decarbonization toolbox. Uh, I first met Anne at the Colorado Oil and Gas Association, and prior to that, she worked at the Ohio Oil and Gas Association. Um, in addition to um, her her work with Adamantine, um, Anne also serves on several leadership positions um, for nonprofits in our space. So to learn more about the Energy Thinks podcast and our work at Adamantine, please visit our website at energythinks.com. And now um, it's my pleasure to present my conversation with Game Changing Leader and my colleague, Anne Carto. Anne, welcome. Thanks for joining me on the Energy Thinks podcast. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited. So this is really fun for me because I learn a lot from you, Anne, and um, we can dive into details that we often don't have time to do in our in our day-to-day -day work. You recently published uh, a two-part series, which I was um, delighted to share within my both true emails called Small Steps. And it described uh, what oil and gas companies of all sizes need to do to begin their journeys to address ESG, to look at decarbonization. And my question for you with so much going on in the world, why now? Why should companies be thinking about this now, especially if they're a small company? Thank you. And that's a great question. And I know you feel it. We've talked about this a lot and my clients are feeling it. My peers in industry are feeling it. It feels like a tipping point. Suddenly we're hearing all of these companies come out with net zero commitments, companies we didn't expect, some of these mid-size independents that we didn't think would do this. It's pretty interesting, um, you know, and, and it feels like it's all happening really quickly. You and I have been talking about it for years, right? And, and many of the people that you've talked to on your podcast have, but we're at a tipping point. And a lot of that is what you and I talk about a bunch, which is you know, you see these large asset managers like BlackRock doubling down on expectations, providing more clarity around expectations, um, especially when it comes to their portfolio companies on ESG and aligning with net zero. And so it feels like that, that big pressure is starting to trickle down. We're also seeing states make net zero commitments and aspirations. And especially when you have the same state you know, coming up with regulations on an industry, you want to be friends with the state, you hope. Um, and so if their aspirations are net zero, you're thinking, well, this is going to trickle down to me. And how do I think about this with them? Um, you even have, you know, the SEC saying they're going to revisit their climate change disclosure obligations. That's mm -hmm. a big one. And I think that 
For those that the first two didn't work with, that third maybe gets them thinking. Um, and then you just have policymakers around the world taking climate seriously, and those impacts are starting to trickle to the U.S., especially with the new administration. So I think that the, the, the why now is because those all tell us we're at a tipping point. I don't think it's going to come back and reverse regardless of who's in power. Um, and, you know, so companies can wait until they're regulated out of business or given mandates that make their operations really difficult. Um, or they can work um, to get ahead and see what's coming and work on it um, with flexible solutions to ESG and carbon issues um, instead of being told exactly how they have to do it, which can be more difficult. So, so a tipping point and getting ahead of it or think, you know, why now? That's such a great thought that you were ending on there, which is companies having some agency in doing this on their own terms. So you can either be reactive, in which case someone else is going to tell you how to do it, and you're probably a little late, and anything you do may be seen with some skepticism, or you can uh, decide to, to jump in. Now, uh, I too have been surprised at the speed, how much it feels like is happening right now in 2021. Um, but I don't know if small companies, maybe privately held companies, uh, whether they're EMP or midstream or even small gas distribution companies, I don't know if they're seeing that pressure. Can you talk a little bit about um, four reasons that you identified in your, in your talk about why those small companies should decide to take matters into their own hands right now? Absolutely. This was one that I've had to think about internally when I was thinking, why? Why? A lot of my clients are smaller. Um, and so we had to think about making that case because we think it's the right thing to do. But that doesn't mean that every board and leadership is going to agree. And so we thought of it and came up with four reasons. And um, one of those was that private equity cares about this too. Often companies think this only applies to large public companies, but that's not the case. Um, I found this study by ERM that said that 93% of leading private equity firms believe a focus on ESG will generate good investment opportunities. And that was up by, I think, around 40% since the last time they did that survey a few years before. Um, and so it's this mainstreaming of ESG. And that's led to more PE firms um, moving due diligence from a compliance angle to ESG best practices, or at least adding ESG best practices to that due diligence when they're thinking about investments. And so I, I think that if you um, are answering to private equity, ESG is, is now more mainstream. Um, another one is, is kind of related is increasing your access to capital. So um, ESG is all about showing your company's ability to achieve you know, sustainable long-term growth. Um, and that in, in uh, turn attracts investors and capital. Um, you know, investors are under their own pressure to seek sustainable investments. So, so the money is now involved. Um, and on, on top of that, in terms of reputation, think about if you are trying to make an exit at some point. On the financial side, even, if you are a pioneer, say, and looking at who am I going to look at, my flaring numbers are excellent. So I want to buy an asset that I'm going to have to basically pay a ton of money to bring up to par with my the way that I run my company and how my metrics look to my investors? Or am I going to pick someone who kind of has 
you know, their stuff together and has thought about this beforehand, or at least is transparent about what the work will be to get there. Um, so I, I think that matters in due diligence for an exit. Um, but it also matters in for an eventual exit um, as far as what your stakeholders might say about you when you're doing due diligence. What I mean, are they going to say that you're on top of sustainable issues? Are they going to say that you're transparent and you're a good partner to work with? Or is it the other way around? And I think that's where um, that reputation piece comes into it. That's so, um, it's so interesting, this idea of um, companies whose ultimate goal is to um, be acquired or, or be merged in some um, successful way. Uh, it used to be that you that these companies wanted to have permits, permits for infrastructure. And then it became you actually have to have executable permits, not permits that are, are not going to be able to um, be given in a reasonable time with reasonable conditions. And so I was just thinking as you were saying that how we've really switched into a new era where companies who are that are executives that are building their companies for sale or find themselves in a position where they want, want to be a part of the acquisition and merging that's about to happen, that an ESG strategy becomes a competitive advantage uh, in the marketplace. I, I really hadn't reflected upon, upon that in this in that context before. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And um, it was actually two conversations that I had just this week that brought that to light even more for me. You know, you and I have talked about for years and you've made this prediction of we'll see way less companies in the next few years than we have. So that sets up a huge M&A market. And then I was talking to someone who um, is a, an a investment firm that eventually wants to operate their own assets. And they said, we're under pressure from potential lenders to have sort of ESG metrics and a lens that we look at potential assets to provide them to make decisions. And so I think this, this M&A piece of ESG, we're going to see much more of it. Um, and it's something that you and I are just kind of diving into and figuring out, as you said. So it's pretty exciting. It, that, it's so interesting. And speaking of, of, of this switch in lens that companies are gonna be looking at, I have been surprised in the last week also at the number of incoming requests I've had from um, board members of both privately and publicly held firms where they're setting up their ESG committee. So either they're doubling down on their strategy with board and executive metrics and commitment, or they're just getting started. And, um, and this is really interesting because we know oil and gas companies up and down the value chain don't like to be first movers. Um, and I don't, and to be game changers, to change from reactive to proactive, of course, companies have to get started. So actually the window for game changing in this space is, is getting smaller because in some ways everyone's doing it. It's becoming the price of entry, no matter what the size of your company, that you have an ESG committee, that you're getting started. So I know that there's at least dozens of executives out there that are saying, okay, where do I start? So Anne, tell us, where, where do I start? <laughs> Um, well, I think that the ultimate first place, whether you're talking about ESG or a decarbonization narrative, decarbonization journey, if you will, is talking to your investors. Um, understanding their priorities and their expectations just narrows your focus and you know eliminates any unnecessary work, time, resources um, that you might've thought that they really cared about water when all they care about is methane. Um, or DEI is huge to them um, where, you know, water management isn't at all. 
something like that. It just, it, it really helps you, especially smaller companies with less resources to understand where they should be starting and where they should be focusing. Um, and picking up ESG isn't going to change their course. You know, a lot of companies we've heard push back and say, what if, if I bring it up to them, they're going to make me do something. And it's, it's already on their mind. They're an investor. ESG is part of that. Um, you know, where they are in the timeline, I don't think you'll change that either, but it's good to know where they are because then you have that way to plan your own strategy. Um, and they might even have resources for you. Often they want to share between portfolio companies. If there's a great partnership out there, if there is um, funding for some sort of innovation in reducing emissions, they can help you understand um, what your options are, what your timeline is. Um, and the other piece of that that goes hand in hand is really talking to your stakeholders at the beginning. Um, we have some companies that are doing full-blown materiality assessments, and, and that's really um, a pretty organized way of going out to your stakeholders and asking them both what their priorities are, but what they think the biggest impacts are to their, the business, so my client. Um, and that helps you also understand your priorities. What would they, what would you want to report the most on in your ESG report that matters most to stakeholders? Or what would they like to see resources devoted to? Um, both of those help you narrow your focus because the problem small companies see is ESG is a big thing. There's so much under E, S, and G. Where do I focus and what do I use my limited resources on? And so I think talking to investors and talking to stakeholders is the first place for sure. That's so, um, it's so great. And I want to riff off that a little bit because what I heard in between the lines of what you're saying is there is no one size fits all, which will come as a relief to executives because your ESG approach is going to be driven by those stakeholders from investors to, you know, maybe permitting agencies in some cases. Um, so that's really interesting. And the other thing you mentioned was diversity, equity, inclusion, because I find that most companies starting on ESG are thinking climate. But actually, at least my observation is they really should also be thinking of this very big arena of diversity, equity, inclusion while they're embarking upon that. Do you think that's the correct or is that, am I getting ahead of myself as I sometimes do? No, I'm, you're totally right. And I mean, this all ties into what we've been experiencing the past couple of years with the pandemic, with um, social issues being brought to light um, as they should have been. And, and something that we've, we've realized and our clients have realized and these, you know, the Black Rocks of the world have realized is that DEI is a critical piece of ESG um, and business in general. Um, you know, when companies' leadership and workforce mirror their stakeholders and the greater public, they can better anticipate risk, they can find clarity in their priorities, um, and they'll understand their customers better. And all of those are gonna lead to better business strategies. And on top of that, it's the right thing to do. Um, and, and if that's not enough for some leaders, which we also know, um, is there's probably going to be regulations on it too. That's always the backstop I don't like to use, but truthfully, there's other countries that have metrics around including at least um, you know, specific gender um, participation and even California does so. But, but really it's, it's, if you can mirror the greater public and your stakeholders, you have a better idea of how to be a, a successful corporate citizen because you have that 
um, empathy, that shared empathy, that shared vision and shared values that you can use um, in your business strategy. Yeah, it's such a great point that diversity, equity and inclusion expectations are coming from investors. They're coming from employees. They're coming from permitting agencies. And we're going to see, I think, environmental justice considerations. So how companies are either disproportionately affecting for the negative or perhaps contributing for the positive to historically disadvantaged communities. These are all going to be key elements of how we talk forever about energy infrastructure and development. So yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. We will be back to the Energy Thinks podcast momentarily, but if you work in the oil and gas industry, you understand that we are facing a massive set of disruptions that are unprecedented in our lifetime. This pandemic has upended the world in which we operate in. How can oil and gas leaders face these disruptions in ways that aren't just reactive, but proactive? Tisha Schuler's new book, The Game Changers Playbook, How Oil and Gas Leaders Thrive in an Era of Continuous Disruption, is that guide for oil and gas leaders who want to make sense of this moment and chart a better path forward. Order your copy today at energythinks.com backslash game changer. That's energythinks.com backslash game changer. And now back to the show. So as these companies are embarking, um, they're going to make mistakes. We all make mistakes when we're embarking on these big new new changes. What are some mistakes you could help them avoid? What lessons could um, small oil and gas companies learn from, from those that have gone before them? Well, I'll start by telling you, you know, another way that they can mitigate the mistakes I'll tell you about. And, and one of those ways is to really hold a strategy session um, to assess their risk. Because every company is going to be different in terms of their unique risks and the opportunities that come out of those risks. Um, you know, you say you're company X, you might say, I did this research and we can expect flaring regulations by the end of 2022. Or a peer in our investor portfolio just announced significant efforts in diversity, equity, and inclusion, meaning that might be important to our investor. Um, or activist groups in the area are particularly concerned about freshwater use, and that might trickle to state legislators. Taking time to, with leadership, with key um, employees um, and key teams within your company, um, revealing those gives you an idea of a menu of options and a menu and, and a path forward. Because often the mistake I'm, I'm leading up to is we often focus on reporting rather than progress. And I have been part of that in maybe past work, you know, when, because that's what we thought ESG was a couple of years ago and it really hit boiling gas. And, and we got stuck in that. And we've had to have some conversations recently with our clients in between you and I of like, how do we step back when we're meeting these deadlines to get ESG reports out or metrics out and, and come back and say, okay, but where are we on the, the progress that leads mm -hmm. to these metrics? And how do we um, bring back the focus on those programs? Can we read, look, let's look at what we found in our strategy session, these three risks. Have we forgotten that our goal is to mitigate those um, when we were putting together our methane intensity this year? Um, so I, I think that that's a common mistake that we're seeing um, is losing focus on the programs and initiatives to improve performance on sustainability issues. And a successful ESG program should balance aligning business strategy with that external reporting. 
Um, so that sounds so easy, Anne. And those of you who've worked with Anne and I know we in client meetings will push back against each other because that's how we get to the right answer. And it's so interesting what you said because I also feel like we we started a lot of our ESG work with like what report do we want to put out. Um, but what we're finding, as you alluded to, and I'll maybe take it one step further and invite you to push back, is. Ultimately, ESG work is going to lead to deep cultural change. If we're working on creating diverse, equitable, and inclusive organizations, that's going to affect everything. If, we're, if we are creating energy companies of the future, that's going to affect everything. So at the one hand, we're advocating small steps and we don't scare anyone to death. On the other hand, the, the embarking on ESG has to recognize that this isn't a reporting exercise. This is a evolution exercise. Did I take it too far? <laughs> what do you no, think? I don't think so. And, and I agree. I don't want to scare anyone out of like, you know, I'm going to hide because this is just too much. Right. And so I, I agree. It is an evolution. It's going to change, you know, your business over time. But, but I do want to say that there are small steps, like, and that's the focus of what we've been writing about. And another small step that I think is important to bring up um, and, and, the G and the S are very important, but the E is still so important in um, the oil and gas industry. And a big first step that you can take that's impactful is really getting a handle on your emissions, um, especially the low hanging fruit. And depending where, where you are in the country, um, it's probably very different for you on, on what you've already done, what you need to do in a certain time frame. But by understanding your methane emissions and emissions sources, you just set yourself up for um, tackling a path forward, planning. Um, and, and we've heard from the investment community that methane is a priority as far as making investment decisions um, when it comes to maybe a differentiated gas market or comparing company to company um, because methane has such an impact on the environment. And so I think that if you're looking for another small step that eventually is gonna to have to change the culture of your business because of how you'll have to devote resources to it is understanding your methane emissions saying, you know, how do I stand up to other companies? What actions can I take to reduce my emissions now? And how can I plan for further um, reductions down the road? What does this resource allocation look like? Um, are there partnerships that I can take advantage of? You know, one thing that um, has been really interesting to me, I serve on a grant review committee for the state of Colorado under like um, innovative tech and emerging technologies and industries. And in that we get to review grants for all these emerging startups in the energy space that are so interesting. And they all, they're at such a tipping point that a partnership that probably wouldn't cost a lot of money um, with an oil and gas company would just be able to have them attract much more funding and wouldn't be a huge lift on the end of the producer. And I think that looking for those opportunities, especially as a small company are so advantageous in this environment. And it's not specific to Colorado. You know, you've talked to Greentown Labs in Houston, the Avatar program up in Calgary. Like, I think that there's Every company has this opportunity and, and emissions should be a priority in, in their first step. Um, yeah, I'm so glad you said, said that because on the one hand, emissions are an extraordinary complex issue. On the other hand, every company on some level has a team focused on 
addressing it. So getting that more um, formalized in, in preparation of future transparency and reductions is a, a really great first step. So I'm, I'm really glad you mentioned that. Um, let's talk a little bit about activist investors. This returns to our theme of, um, of being reactive versus being proactive. A couple years ago, we foreshadowed that activist investors were coming for companies of all sizes. Um, it turns out that is now true. <laughs> and they pretty they they want to talk about so, something between your your um, your free cash flow and your ESG strategy. Um, and they, they weight them according to wherever they are on the on the activist investor spectrum. What do you what's your advice for companies um, on how they engage? You already said go to go to your investors, but what about investors that companies perceive as hostile? Mm -hmm. So again, that's a strategy session comes in, in handy here too on the same thing of anticipating what they might come after you for. Um, and so there's a good way to do that. You can see who your investors are and what they've pushed on other companies um, on. But, but by doing that, what can you get started on on those issues today? Because it, it goes back to this Doing things on your own timeline with your own resources, with your own flexible path forward is so much easier on the company. Um, and if you get started on the issues that, we, that you think they're going to care about, um, you're going to have a leg up in those negotiations to make it go away. Um, but, but I think that there's a way to map this out. There's a way to show progress that keeps activist investors at bay. And, and I think that it's a mistake to hide from those or just say, we'll deal with it when they come. But I'm also really curious because you and I haven't talked about this in a while, how you're feeling about this. Oh, that's so funny that you asked because I was just thinking, what do I, what do I think about this? So I, um, I think that a little planning goes a long way. So I think I'm reiterating what you said, but, but I have been surprised, repeatedly surprised at how much um, credit a company gets when they say we're working on this, we're thinking about it, we'll have a plan together on this in six months. So I've been surprised. Activist investors want to be engaged with your company. They're not actually trying to shut you down. Their, their win is we got a company to do something they wouldn't have done without us. And so it's not that companies have to be at 100% perfection because some of the demands are maybe not even productive in the context of climate, um, but they don't know that. So I've been really surprised at how much actual give and take and goodwill goes on once you're in conversation. Is that consistent with what you're seeing with your clients? Absolutely. I, I, I think so. I, I think that often with these shareholder resolutions, we both know that what they're, what they say is not how they're going to end up. It's a way to start negotiations. I think that um, Danielle said that from, as you saw on your podcast, was this is really a way to get companies thinking, get companies moving and to start conversations. And so by doing a little planning, like you said, you're ready for those conversations or that's all the, the activists really wanted was for you to think about this and start working on it. So I agree. <laughs> I'm struck as we talk about this, how similar this is to all the advice we give about shared aspirations. And so the, I'm just going to map this out, Anna, and then you react and see if you agree if this is true. But the, the, the idea is when there's someone that seems like they're on the opposite side of the table, if you can figure out what do we have in common, which means we have to understand what are they trying to accomplish? They're, they're, whatever their activist demands are may not reflect what they're trying to accomplish. Um, but if we try to understand what they're trying to accomplish, seek common ground 
And so directionally, we're saying, okay, we're headed in the same direction, but now we want to create a space for a pragmatic conversation. And this is what we're always trying to do, create a space for the pragmatic conversation about the realities of the complexity of the energy system. I'm struck that we're doing that exact same advice here with um, investors. And, and maybe I'll just get hand off with a chance for you to raise the stakes here. But where do you think values come into this? And like com company values, company culture, um, because somehow that has to be tied in. So this is authentic and not greenwashing. How are you thinking about that right now? It's, I'm thinking of it pretty high level right now because we're at this tipping point in a lot of ways of the energy transition, a real, you know, huge change, significant change in how um, we value people who don't look or act like us or, or share the same values. I think because of that, companies really have to think about a commitment to the improvement of humankind. And I know that's like very woo woo maybe, but that really is how I'm thinking about it because it, it, we were so narrow and focused in a lot of our ESG work and a lot of companies ESG work. But now I think that, you know, the, the pandemic, especially we've, we've realized it, realized that energy touches us all, big business touches us all somehow. Um, and so I think that, you know, a commitment to the improvement of humankind is kind of manifested in many ESG issues, protecting the environment, affordable energy, equity for all. Those all will be important in the energy transition and energy future. And having those values will be crucial to communicate to the public that you wanna be a part of the future they're envisioning, um, that, that shared aspiration. I think that these high level ones that might've might have felt too big for us really are, are coming to light at every company. Does that make sense? <laughs> oh yeah, it's so interesting. I'm getting um, a little bit of chills because we haven't had this conversation. So we're, we're off in uncharted territory for our audience here. Um, but one of the game changer recommendations is to lead beyond your normal sphere of influence, to lead in society. And so um, you're really saying take those values, which we see manifest in any storm where companies, I mean, gas companies, you know, going bankrupt to, to try to meet gas needs when there's the, you know, gas shortage um, in recent weather events. We know company, our oil and gas industry rises to the occasion, but now we have this interesting macro pandemic, economic recovery. And so this idea to say, how do our companies values, how can we project them out into the bigger sphere and align those with the uh, racial equity and justice movement, align those with the decarbonizing the energy future. And those really work and with um, some more even like very traditional or conservative values, which is creating prosperity, creating the space for liberty, um, uh, creating US energy security. Like these things are all aligned with these other values that, that um, we see from uh, a changing public with different expectations. Um, so that was, so, so that was fun. Thank you. <laughs> um, let, let's give our audience a little chance to get to know you while we're, while we're talking about values. Um, over here at Adam and Teen, we have uh, turned ourselves upside down trying to serve our, our industry in um, a pandemic, price collapse, economic collapse, and now a, a recovery that I think we're all starting to get a little bit hopeful about. Talk to us, Anne, about your values and um, priorities and how they've changed this year. Yeah, I, 
it's interesting. It, it ties off of what we were just talking about, but you know, I would often before some of these social issues came to or really came to the forefront and and these the the pandemic, I was often told by clients, you know, we're we are my board will never get on board with this, or um, we're too small to think about this issue under social or governance, um, or some of these even these environmental issues that were the right thing to do. And, and I've learned the past year that it's my duty as their practitioner, ESG practitioner, to push back to in each meeting, and you're so good at this too, is making sure we're raising these issues that they need to be thinking about and making progress on um, that they told us a year ago were out of their scope. Um, that has been a shift this year where I was comfortable just saying, all right, we're going to focus on these four things and move forward. But now I'm trying to pay attention to these larger signals um, because a, a thing that we've always made sure we do in, in our job is, is thinking ahead. And so, and listening to those signals, making sure we're keeping clients apprised of, of risk. And so I've felt like my values have shifted to make sure I'm pushing back on some of these larger social and, and governance and environmental issues that that seemed too out of reach. That's such a great way to frame this because um, we did at one time think our job was to say, hey, here's some disruptors. Okay, you choose not to look at them, that's your choice. Now, uh, I agree with you. I feel obligated to say, if you don't look at these, some really terrible things are gonna happen. Let's map, let's map that out. Let's map out the cost of capital, the, you know, the, the investor activism coming your way. So I really like the way um, you're thinking about that. And, and you, you started leading into my next question for you, which is when you think about 2021, the challenges ahead, you really do play a leadership role within um, projects and within our work here at Adam and Teen in terms of, of this kind of advancement, this evolution where that's underway, this leadership, this paradigm shift for the energy industry leading into the energy future. Um, what are you focused on for your own leadership style this year? It's I, a lot of it is that thinking around the bend, looking around the bend and, and bringing that to clients. Um, but I, I've told you this, it's, it's, elevating everything. There's so much pressure on our companies. And in turn, there's a lot of pressure on us, but it's fun. It's driving us. Um, and we are elevating to meet that. And so I think that for me, it's that, that paying attention to signals and, and thinking about that in terms of what does it mean for my client? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for the broader industry, broader stakeholders? And by thinking about all of that, we can just elevate everything we're doing and bring that strategy to our clients. And, and that sounds really difficult. And so I think that's where I have to elevate as an individual um, to be able to bring that level of um, leadership with our clients and strategic direction with our clients. That's so interesting because what it raised for me, which might be a first time thought, is that by, by elevating and expediting the oil and gas industry's leadership in the energy transition, that's the greatest service we can provide at Adamantine. So it's, it's a tiny bit selfish, like oil and gas companies, we love you. We wanna bring out the best in you and the world needs you. Like, let's get, let's giddy up. Let's get the show on the road. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I really like that because um, that 
that help put some words to, to something I feel, but I hadn't quite really thought about that our work is our contribution to, to yeah. decarbonizing energy future. And with our, totally. And with our clients though, I mean, it's, it, there are, I'd say focuses or game changing efforts that are, are rising to um, be priorities for sure. And again, that's trickling down from your black rocks of the world, frankly. Um, but it's interesting to see now companies really realizing they have to align with a decarbonized world. And it's exciting because we have clients that two years ago would have never thought that offsets were really something that they were going to have to think about. Or companies are now like, I might not be able to do CCUS myself, but maybe there's a vendor that could help me with a partnership. We you and I were like, will we ever hear something like that? And I'd say now all of our clients are pretty much in that, that realm and probably all our potential clients. And it's so fun to listen to. It's so fun to be a part of. Um, and it's going to be so interesting to watch, especially the leaders in our industry um, navigate this with creativity and, and partnering with some of this emerging tech. It's so interesting. And the other pieces that, that also got elevated by some of these larger asset managers is the stakeholder engagement piece of it. Um, you know, that there has to be a concerted effort to get input from stakeholders and integrate it into your business strategy. That has been my passion since I started in industry. And I'm loving that that is being brought to the forefront by um, the Black Rocks and Kimmerges and all that in the world and, and, and government um, leaders, because I don't understand companies that don't do that. You know, that is, that is such a core value to me of understanding your stakeholders needs and priorities and integrating it to be a successful business. And I love that that's now going to be kind of a requirement moving forward. So, so I'm focusing on those two and, and having fun watching clients navigate it. Oh, that's great. That's great. I agree. The, the, sometimes all this disruption feels like it's downside, but actually you just articulated all this disruption as upside. Things that could have taken a decade are happening in a year um, in terms of cultural transformation and lead company leadership. I agree, it's really excited. So on that upbeat note, Anne, here we, here we head into spring with the potential for hope for life beyond a, a pandemic. What, what are you looking forward to? I am very excited to travel again. Um, but really, I'm just excited in general. I'm in a really cool place in my life where my career is awesome, thanks to my boss and company um, and the hard work we're doing. But I'm in a cool place right now where I understand where I want to go in my career, have a little more clarity on um, my life in Denver. Um, so I'm just really excited to elevate like I was talking about and, and really get back into travel and, and things that I enjoy to balance um, out, you know, the career things. So I, I'm excited about that. And, and professionally, like I said, I'm really excited to see what companies are going to do to adapt to these new expectations. We get to be, have a front row seat to it. Um, and so it's exciting times all around. That's our episode for today. I hope you enjoyed sitting in on an adamantine strategy session. Oh, it was really a lot of fun for me to, as always, upgrade my thinking with a conversation with Anne. Um, what was particularly a game-changing insight for me was how important the baby steps are 
to the ultimate civic leadership that industry plays in bringing the world uh, to a better place across the board. Um, that was a that was a really um, paradigm shifting moment for me that I'm still digesting. I'd love to hear what you found to be a game changing insight. So please visit our podcast website at energythinks.com podcast and let me know. Uh, you can subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. If you like what you're hearing, please take a moment and rate us. It helps other oil and gas industry enthusiasts find us. I want to say a special thank you to Michael Tanner, Lindsay Gage, and Scott Marshall for helping us get uh, this podcast up to you every two weeks. Uh, thanks for listening to the Energy Things podcast. Until next time, I'm Tisha Schuler, wishing you and yours happiness, prosperity, and good health.